you're playing like we was playing that year, I mean, the first four or five games of the season, we were throwing for four and five touchdowns, and it was just unbelievable, and out there having fun. But he was definitely one of those quarterbacks where he saw what you saw in the defense, and he could, you know, you, you could be on the same page, just trust each other. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 62 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. I'm your host, Cy Amundsen, joined by Chris Corso and Jay Nelson from Vikings.com. We got to look back a little bit at week three. We got to talk about what's going on midweek with the COVID situation, and we need to look forward to week four in Houston. Boys, let's start with the Vikings' third loss in as many weeks. A tough one this time. Uh, I mean, they were all tough, but a, a different sort of tough. Losing at the gun, 31-30. We can spend some time on some of the frustrations here, but we're at that midweek point, and I want to spend a little bit of time on the bright spots as well. Uh, and the first one is something that we talked about, I think, towards the end of last week's show, which there are obviously improvements I think the coaching staff and the players would say that there are, there are things that need to improve from a 31 to 30 loss. But to me, this game was more representative of where I thought the team might start early in the year. Like, you know what I'm saying? Those first two games were such specific situations with field position battles and safeties and turnovers. This to me looked more like the Vikings team were going to see battle. They put up a bunch of points. The defense made some plays, held them to six field goals, but also gave up some plays because they're young. This is more of what I expected, despite the fact that it was frustrating to lose the game, Chris. Yes, I think the stat that sticks out to me is they became the first team ever to have a 175 receiving yard player as well as a 175 yard rushing player in a win or a loss. So I know they lost the game, but that has never happened before in the history of the NFL. That's a positive thing for Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, and the Vikings offense. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that makes it both, uh, you know, something, something that makes you want to walk forward and be excited about and also infuriating. You have your young star and your team star both play, play so well and you fall short. But l let's just walk down that path here a little bit. Man, Justin Jefferson, I think for a fan base that, and, and I can say this as an overly emotional fan, Jay, for a fan base that has been so, I want to say, like, they have so much baggage about superstar wide receivers. We've now traded three superstar wide receivers. We drafted Cordero Patterson high. We drafted Laquan Treadwell high. There's just a lot of emotions that go into that position for this fan base. And so to once again take a guy high after shipping digs out, to have him come through, to have him, and not just have a bunch of yards. This wasn't, you know, a couple of broken plays. He went up and he made some really nice catches in traffic. He ran some really good routes. Even on the broken play, where, not broken, but the well-designed play where he got deep, he still had to shake someone into the end zone. I mean, that was such an exciting performance for Viking fans looking forward. 
one of the things everyone's been hearing in the offseason is this kid's the real deal. Kubiak's excited. The quarterback's excited. Everyone's saying this kid's putting it all together in practice, and the fans hadn't seen it yet. And I just think with a week of looking for people to step up and, and to make some serious changes and making this happen, I think seeing Justin be able to jump out and have a seven-reception, 175-yard game, including that 71-yard touchdown, it just gave the fans another thing to look at and, and have a glimmer of hope for somebody that potentially is going to be a superstar in this team for many, many years. You're talking about practice, Jay. I got some some inside info on that 71-yard touchdown that Justin Jefferson had. Uh, Kirk Cousins said in his radio show this week they ran that same exact play in practice on Friday before the game, and Jefferson made this one-handed grab on the play and scored a touchdown in practice. Everyone turned their heads. Gary Kubiak said we're running that play in the game. And then after that, they went into their team meetings and Gary Kubiak said, Justin, we haven't started you week one or week two. You've come in here, you've come in there, but you haven't been a starter. Week three, you're getting the opportunity to start. And boy, did he run away with that opportunity, Cy. Yeah, man. And, and to me, it was, and I'm, I'm hammering on a point that I think I already made, it, where I said it wasn't just a couple of broken plays or a couple of deep balls. He made catches all over the field at different, different defensive depths. You know what I'm saying? And it kind of reminded me, it got me excited because it kind of reminded me, and this is dramatic, of Anquan Bolden had such an incredible rookie season. You know, he was a later round draft like pick, but he came out of nowhere. And it wasn't just that he would get behind defenses when they were focusing on other weapons and pile up yards. He just put receptions all over the field. And that's, that's what I liked about this. It wasn't just the deep play and the escapability. It's that he put receptions all over the field. And to have done it without a preseason, to have done it being the youngest guy on the roster, you, you, you see some people have performances, and I don't want to say they can feel flukish, but they might not be representative of the person's talent or their future. They might be more representative of the situation and how things fell together. To me, this felt representative of his talent and this felt representative of his potential. And, uh, you know, despite an 0-3 start, it gives me something to be really, really excited to see week four in Houston. Yeah, I mean, I think I said after the game, a star was born in this game. I mean, what a clever, what a clever turn of a phrase. Did you come up with that, Chris? All on my own, Cy. I really did. It just came to me. And I was like, after the game, I looked at some (laughs) of my friends and I said, this guy's going to be a good one. I love it, but he's Are you I mean, talking to my dad on the phone. There's only there's only a few players that have come to to the Minnesota Vikings in these past couple years and been like taking a hold of the league and Stefan Diggs was one of them. He was one of them. And and now I think that this rookie has that exact same spark. He's got the swag, he's got the potential. Uh, he's getting tweets on the NFL uh, account. It's not just the Vikings fans that like this guy. It's fans across the league were so excited about his performance at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday. Well, and you know, it's it's Vikings fans carry this thing with them that's really unfair to every wide receiver who walks into the building, and that's the Randy Moss complex. It's like I remember when I was like 12 or 13 years old, 
I really wanted to play lottery tickets. I thought lottery tickets were incredible. And so my dad tried to teach me a lesson and he's like, I'm going to buy you some, you can either have this cash or I will buy you these lottery tickets. And I was like, lotto tickets. And then one of the lotto tickets won like a stupid amount of money. And forever that every time I'm in a gas station, I'm like, I'm gonna get a lotto ticket. Like it, it ruins you. And so to have gone through what we went through with Randy Moss's rookie season, you have this unrealistic lottery ticket style mentality towards receivers that it's really difficult to live up to. And I don't, you know, Jefferson isn't on a rookie Moss level, but he did become the first rookie since Moss to put up a hundred yards in the first half for us. And, and it's, it's, it's a little dramatic to say off of one performance, but Chris is right. It's hard to think of a player that have, has brought this much enthusiasm this early in their career uh, to this organization, uh, you know, recently. I think part of it, too, was the fact that he had as many yards as he did in the first half. He was flirting with the, the prospect of breaking that rookie record for most yards and a half that was by Moss. And so he, I mean, if you really think about it, he was what, 36 yards away from breaking Sammy White's rookie record of 210. So I think given the half that he had, I mean, you, you saw Tennessee have to change their defense, realizing like we cannot leave this guy one-on-one and double feeling the entire game or we're going to get torched. So the one other thing on from my end, and I think the reason why fans in general were really excited was this is the first time you've seen him do things like you did at LSU and in the championship game and all season in the SEC. This is the hype that has been built up for this kid. And then to see him actually come through for the first half in that game week three, that shows you that it's in there. We just need to be putting more and more consistent performances from the offense out there so he can do his work and have that kind of success moving forward for this team. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's flip from the really fun to the less fun. Uh, let's talk about the end of the game. Uh, and before we get there, let's point out again, I don't think, and I don't think anyone thinks giving up 30 points is anything to write home about defensively. But when six of those points, when, when you're talking a fumble from Dalvin, an interception from Kirk and a lot better field position, situations this week than the last couple weeks but still holding this team to six field goals and by the way if you don't have one of the greatest kickers in the history of professional football you're holding this team to probably 25 points if not 22 I mean Gaskowski kicks a 51 a 54 and a 55 game winner if you have 80% of the kickers in the league, you're missing at least one of those, and you're maybe punting on one or two of those, not including the game winners. So uh, from a defensive standpoint, I'm going to lean in on the fact that I thought there was a little bit here to be proud of, and we were put in a position to have the chance to the strong side of the ball, what we hope to be the strong side of the ball this season, had the opportunity to win the game, and they didn't just have it. They were gifted a, a, a penalty that put them first and 10 on the 40. I mean, given the way Dan Bailey's been kicking, they basically had to go 25 to 30 yards to have a real shot at winning this game. And it just, you know, I can paraphrase what the coach said. It went about as bad as it could possibly go, which was a surprise given how well 
most of the game had gone. Yeah, like Kirk was making decisive decisions. He was in play action. The the pass he made to Thielen in the end zone for the first touchdown, I th- I thought was one of his better passes in in the in my recent memory, as I can't remember many right now. But uh, everything was just flowing for the Vikings offense. We talked about the run game. We talked about Jefferson. Uh, you, you get Rudy involved in the back of the end zone with a pass that literally only he could catch, which was a phenomenal grab. But um, things were going great, and then. As Coach Zimmer said, it was chaos on the final drive. And I, I mean, the snap, that that one just, it's, those mistakes just can't happen. They can't happen. Zimmer will say it. Cousins will say it. Bradbury will say it. A mistake like that cannot happen when you're 0-2 trying to get your first win. I think, and what you just said right there is is the key. I think the, the first two games, everything we've been hearing was there's too many mistakes. We're beating ourselves if we clean up those mistakes, we'll give ourselves a chance to win. You saw all game long, and the fact that you scored 30 points shows that the offense was clicking for the day. But the problem was when you needed it most at the end, especially the last drive, but but even the last two drives, when it fell apart the way that it did, that, that was what is frustrating because you're looking at it saying, just get me one of those. If you give me one of those, that sets us up to force Tennessee to have to play from behind again. And – I think for the fans, for the team, for the coach, everybody across the board, it's if you can finally start putting those pieces together, that is where your success is going to come from. So it was frustrating to watch those last two drives, especially at the end. The pressure up the middle was really killing Kirk's timing. And um, I I think if they can clean that up here against Houston, we definitely have a chance given some of the issues that they have on their defensive line. And this was also a game that, that we didn't, you know, you, you got a break or two. You know, it felt like in those first couple games, you just, I mean, you got a defensive stop and you got a tipped interception, but you didn't get, and it didn't feel like we could catch a break. And let's talk about the opening drive. Uh, whether it was wrong route, whether it was misfire, a pretty tough interception that was easily a pick six and a boneheaded play by one of the best defensive ends in this league was a pretty big break for the Vikings. So all in all, to me, do I want to see us walk forward from a loss where we gave up 31 points? Absolutely. Absolutely. But this game, and the Titans are a good team. They're 3-0. and They're coming off an AFC championship game. To me, this is the first game where I've really felt like there's something to build off of. A hundred percent. I mean, you look at the Vikings defense, they didn't have any of their players from last season. Like the cornerbacks that were missing, Mike Hughes, you're, you're also missing uh, starting week one cornerback rookie Cameron Dantzler. You're down to pretty much Chris Boyd, who was questionable, questionable before the game. Holton Hill played a much better game than the first two weeks of the season. I mean, you have Todd Davis, who was picked up two days ago from the Denver Broncos, making big-time tackles in this game and, and taking down Derrick Henry. So I, a ton of guys, you don't have to kneel there. Anthony Barr's out for the season. A lot of people say this defense is, is not playing up to the standards, but you just hope Daniel Hunter can come back healthy next week. Vikings Live comes to you from TCO Studios on Thursday nights during the regular season. The show is a midweek look at the Vikings featuring a live player interview plus expert analysis and all the latest Viking stories from the week. It's live Thursday nights, KMSP Fox 9, or via Vikings digital and social channels, including 
Vikings.com, Vikings mobile app, Vikings Now, the team's connected TV app, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. For information, Vikings.com slash Vikings Live. Let's transition from last week to the middle of this week before we get to next week. Three members of the Tennessee, three, correct, Jay? Three members of the Tennessee Titans organization tested positive for my number that I've been told by Jay. My numbers are incorrect. Four members of they had, the... They had an additional one hit today, so that is why the number went to four. Well, thanks for nothing in the preparatory work. We're at You're four. Welcome. We're at four with the uh, Tennessee Titans organization. Obviously, it's the first time the league has... Uh, seen this uh, early in the season and it's uh, the first time that they are uh, diving into the necessary protocol which has uh, it's sidelined the Vikings and closed the building Tuesday Wednesday today Thursday is the first day as long as everything continues uh, that we will likely see the team back in the building and practicing and two things one, there's nothing you can do about it. It's the reality of the season we're living in, and we have to play by the rules if we want to see football. It is just the reality of the situation. And if you really want to hear our organization expound on what's happening and give their thoughts on X's and O's, Jay, is that correct? Yeah, they had a press conference today, but they're also uh, discussing on X's and O's as well. And so the, they're giving the latest update that they can, given what the team is getting not only from the league, from Tennessee, and, and all of the testing that's going on at this point. Yeah, so we're not on this show. We're not going to sit here and break this down and, and tell you what's happening and what we think it means. The, the, only, the only thing that I'll mention before we move on to the Texans is generally when a season's going well, we've all seen it in the, in the post-game locker room speech when a coach goes, we'll see you on Wednesday, and everybody goes nuts. Players get Monday and Tuesday off. You know – it's not an abnormal thing for guys to have a Monday and a Tuesday off. Normally they're able to get in the building and, and get some, some care, you know, rehab type situations to take care of themselves. They're able to work with the training team, which they weren't, but you're basically an extra day behind the eight ball here. And hopefully it won't be a gigantic roadblock. Like it would be if they go, Hey, uh, you guys got to shut down for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You go, well, I don't know that that's going to work out great. Shout out to our good friend Luke Burson, who uh, set up all the virtual meetings for the Vikings coaches and staff and players to continue to, to have their meetings over the past couple days. Um, definitely got a big shout out from General Manager Rick Spielman in the press conference uh, earlier Wednesday morning. But um, just looking forward, Rick Spielman said Mike Zimmer is going to have this team ready to play. They plan on getting on the plane on Saturday to head over to Houston. So they are planning to play football, and, and they're not making any excuses. So that's, that's the way the Vikings handled this, and hopefully that's the way it'll go, and we will see a, a football game on Sunday. And I know it's a little, I know it's a little uh, you know, generic to, like, we're not going to make any excuses, but I also love that. I, I mean, the truth is – these guys, you've got guys here, veterans on this team who've been playing football for five years, a decade. And I know you have some rookies, but these are professionals. And despite that line being a little tired in the sports world, it's true. And I love it. This is what we do. We have to deal with what's put in front of us and we have to go out and win a football game. I think part of it too, is that given the way that the off season had gone and all of the, the infrastructure that the organization had laid out when it came to 
all of the testing, but then on top of that, the virtual meetings and all of the, the technology that they put behind it, they were basically able to, to say, yeah, this is going to be an abnormal thing for an extra day, but let's not skip a beat. Let's get back into our normal routine that we were used to even in the off season. So I think for the organization, the nice part is given what they have, have allocated for resources and given what they've done in the off season, this doesn't feel overly foreign and that, yeah, it was an extra day of weirdness, but they can just pick up where they left off and keep moving. So given the, the veteran coaches that they have, the veteran players that they have, it just feels like this is something they're going to be able to pick up where they left off, make it work for a day, and then jump back on the practice field to get ready for Sunday. Subscribe to the official YouTube channel of the Minnesota Vikings to get all the latest video content from the Vikings Entertainment Network. Watch segments from TV shows such as Vikings Game Plan and Vikings Connected. Catch original digital programming like The Voyage and Vikings Post Game Live. Hear from players and coaches, plus more. Visit vikings.com slash YouTube to subscribe today. Let's jump right into Sunday then. The Vikings are 4-0 all-time against the Houston Texans. Uh, and that includes a victory in which our boy Adam Thielen, I believe, you can stat check me here, I believe Houston is the location of his first ever 100-yard game. I think he put up about 127 yards against Houston in a, a big Vikings victory. Um, let's talk a little keys to the game here, guys. Uh, obviously, everybody mocks the Texans for the, the David Johnson uh, trade in the offseason. Uh, but David Johnson's a hell of a back. And they have some good depth. Uh, so, let, let's start there. I think you got to win the rushing battle. I think you can't, you can't let David Johnson get off on you. And you got to pound it like you did last week. I mean... Last week against these same Houston Texans, the Steelers, a combination of about four backs, James Conner, McFarland, Benny Snell, Deontay Jones, they put up like 171 yards. So much like we knew with the Tennessee Titans, the opportunity is there. And Delvin is rolling. He's coming off a big game. And obviously, if you can come out on top of the, the rushing battle when you're going up against a team with Derrick Henry, you absolutely can do it against these Houston Texans. And it's going to be monumentally important. Yeah, I agree. Looking at David Johnson, 35 carries, 134 yards, and two rushing touchdowns this year. I mean, certainly not the back that we had to go against last week. And looking at the receivers, there is a ginormous hole that is not filled by DeAndre Hopkins being gone. Will Fuller and Randall Cobb are their, are their top two. Um, everyone knows Brandon Cooks is, is a pretty solid wide receiver. So there are some guys that are going to be probably a little bit of a mismatch for some of the younger uh, Vikings cornerbacks, but this is not the offense that they had when they had DeAndre Hopkins out there. Yeah, and you know, like you said, if you, you look at all those guys, there is no sacred cow right now in Houston. You know, if they wanted David Johnson to be that guy when he came in, he's been struggling. And then when you look at the receivers, those four receivers are their top four. And what you're seeing Houston do is they're hitting multiple guys in the game, but they're not going for multiple yards. They're, they're not going for big, big yards. And Deshaun is having to try and do this whole thing by himself. So in doing that, you're seeing him get skittish in the pocket. It seems like they're having some O-line issues. I mean, he's got 13 sacks already on the season in, in three games. So Deshaun Watson is, is feeling like a little skittish. He's hearing footsteps 
as the play is going on. And I think if you can put some pressure on Deshaun, those other guys are going to have to either take short yardage dump passes and try to make something happen in the open field, or we're just going to get to them and shut them down. If you go back and look at that, the last game against the Steelers, their second half was atrocious. It was punt, punt, interception, punt, punt, punt. And it was three and out over and over again throughout that game. So if you can get to Deshaun, you can definitely cause Houston to have some serious problems on their offense. I mean, yeah, Pittsburgh had the ball for 20 minutes and 11 seconds in the second half last week. And if you can put yourself in a situation where you're controlling the ground game and you're controlling the clock, we're going to be in a really, really, really good situation here. Uh, interesting matchups to watch here are obviously J.J. Watt and that defensive line and just in general, the Houston 3-4 defensive look coming at the offensive line. I would love to see – I'm going to call it the Justin Jefferson effect with the offensive line. I, I have probably higher expectations and higher hopes for the offensive line than a lot of people do. I, I think they need a breakout performance. I, need, I think they need a few things to go right, and I would love to see it this week against a different look and a difficult defensive line. I agree, and I, I seriously do not think J.J. Watt is the same player that everyone remembers him as. I really don't. I think his brother in Pittsburgh is actually – Hot take alert. Hot take alert. Chris Corso calling out one of the best defenders of all time. Hot take alert. His brother is better than him in Pittsburgh. They are 3-0. They are Houston is 0-3. Um, throwing it out there. But, yeah, no, the Vikings offensive line needs to step up. I mean, I still don't think they had a, a great game last week. I know the, the offense scored 30 points and everything was all good, but the interior of the offensive line, like, that is where I need to see improvement. I think Riley Reef has played a outstanding uh, left tackle so far, and I think, uh, obviously, Brian O'Neill has been great as well. But uh, I'm still struggling with that interior offensive line for the Vikings. I, I, I want to see some improvement there. If you're the offensive line right now, the one thing you're looking at is the fact you had a 175 and 175 game from two of your top players. That is what you can build off of. If, if you're looking at it saying you're going against that Tennessee defense, you put up 30 points, Dalvin had 175, and you had a rookie be able to have a breakout game because Kirk had some time to make some solid throws to that player. I mean, that is what you build off of as a line. And hopefully here in week four, we just keep seeing incremental increases in productivity from the offensive line, especially along the inside, like you were saying. The next matchup I'm looking at is going to be uh, that wide receiver core. And let's say more than just the wide receiver core. Let's say the Vikings offensive weapons versus the Houston secondary because their secondary is solid. Bradley Roby, Vernon Hargraves the third, uh, Murray and Justin Reed at the safety spot there. It's not the best defensive backfield in the league but it is a good defensive backfield and a very solid group and it was great to have the Jefferson breakout I would love to get a little bit more of that and maybe see an Irv Smith involved maybe see BC showing up on the field because one thing Pittsburgh did really well last week was distribute the ball they had five receivers with more than three receptions in week three their top receiver was only I think it was Eric Ebron five for 52 yards and a touchdown so I think there's a real roadmap here to spread the ball around and push these guys all over the field and with the Jefferson performance you now have that defense 
defense game planning and thinking differently. And it allows a guy like BC, a guy like Irv, a guy like Rudolph to, to kind of take advantage of it. And it would be really nice to see the offense spread their wings in terms of distribution. And, and I'm going to throw in there, I'm, I'm still waiting to see Dalvin Cook become a more dominant force in the passing game. I mean, watching Alvin Kamara on Sunday night football against the Packers, I just 11 receptions, something like that. And you just sit there and you go, well, Delvin can do every single thing that dude can do. And once this offense gets rolling and that part of it is, is a threat as well, I think it's going to be a real difficult task for opposing defenses. Yeah. I think the offense took a huge step forward last week, um, scoring 30 points, seeing, a bunch of new guys get involved like Jefferson, but it's funny you say that side because I think that they still have like so much more to go. Like you mentioned BC Johnson. I think he only played like 30% of the snaps in that game. Irv Smith doesn't even have any sort of contribution on offense. So uh, I just think there's so many weapons. Alexander Madison has a run or two that you're just, you open your eye and you see him hurdle a guy in the red zone. There are so many playmakers on this offense that, I think if we continue to get everyone involved, I think, I mean, I could see them putting up 40 points this week. I really can. I think part of it too, is if you look at the trends of what was happening here, Houston's been giving up a ton of yards on on the ground, not as much down the field. But the thing is that we've been hearing since Diggs left, what's going to happen to this offense. We need someone to take the top off the defense. If Thielen and, and Jefferson can continue to do what they did in the game from last week and be able to stretch that secondary and get them out of there, that leaves room for guys like Delvin and Rudolph and Irv and BC across the middle to get some of those intermediate passes and then be able to get some yards after the catch in order to gouge that defense. I just think if, if you're, if they're going to key off of Delvin, you're going to see what's going to happen with Jefferson. And then once they start having to respect Jefferson and Thielen together, potentially running down the field, that opens up a lot of extra lanes and a lot of extra yardage for guys like Delvin, Rudy and BC at across the middle of the field. Absolutely. And uh, outside of those, which, which we kind of identified as the main focus points, and those were kind of the roads I wanted to walk down. What are you specifically looking for this Sunday, Chris? Is, is there, given what we did last week, what is your goal in terms of building forward momentum here? What would you really like to see? I need to see the time of possession uh, pretty similar to last game. I mean, it was 21 Titans, 18 Vikings. Um, the, the past couple of, of weeks, it was not even close to that. So if we can keep it level or close to level like we did last game, I think you come out with the win because I like our offense better than, than their offense. And you're going against a team that's 0-3. They are going to be dying for a win this week. I was reading an article on their website. It says, no excuses. We need to win this week against the Vikings. I think it's going to be a tough matchup. I really do. I think that they're going to come out ready to play. I think Deshaun Watson, I think you need somebody to spy on him. Not to go somewhere else, but you need a spy on Deshaun Watson. I don't know if that's Eric Wilson. Normally that's an Anthony Barr job. Um, but I'll be excited to see how the Vikings try to stop a, a mobile quarterback because that's been an issue in, in years past. Jay? Corso, you know, looking at the time of possession, what they've been doing for the entire season, Houston's been averaging 24-30 a game. Their opponents have been averaging 35-29. So, I like that, Jay. So that's the thing. If, if you're telling me that potentially you're going to get an extra 10 to 11 minutes of, of possession there, then what that also means is you're going to need to convert on third and fourth downs in order to keep those chains moving. And opponents for, for Houston 
have on third downs have been 20 of 45. And then on fourth downs, they're five for five. So that means that teams on that defense, that defense is not getting people off the field for three and outs or for short drives. They're giving up those kind of conversions. And if this offense wants to be a serious player for the rest of the season, that's the next step that they got to keep moving. They got to keep moving those chains and keep running that clock. Yeah, for me, it's going to be, you know, now that the offense has taken a step forward and, and shown their potential, I'd like to see a little bit more of a complete game. And I'm going to put that on the guy under center. I'd like to see Kirk come out and, and do what we know he's capable of, play a start to finish, be the guy for 60 minutes that we know he's capable of being. And uh, if we can get that sort of leadership under center with these sort of booming weapons, and my hope is seeing those performance gives the quarterback confidence in the offensive moving forward. It gives the defense pause and gives the quarterback, therefore, a little bit more time. So uh, as the offense steps forward, I'm hoping that uh, Kirk takes the uh, the reins and really drives this thing ahead. Well, uh, we have a little treat for you guys. But first, it's game day any day. Play the new Vikings scratch game from the Minnesota Lottery with a top prize of $100,000. Are you game? Just say I'm in. Get more details at mnlottery.com. Now, on to the before mentioned special treat. Normally, we got the fella Chris Corso out here interviewing people, and I'm not saying he doesn't do a good job, but is he Paul Allen? No, no, he is not Paul Allen. Our very own PA caught up with Marcus Robinson, former Viking, and a man who put up a monster day in a previous Vikings victory back in what year, Jay? 2004. 2004, I think over 150 yards, uh, had the overtime game-winning touchdown, two of them total in that game, uh, both of them coming from then-quarterback Dante Culpepper. Really fun to hear Marcus Robinson catch up uh, with PA and talk about uh, this coming week. What's going on, man? How you been? Good, man. Good. No complaints. Just enjoying the retired life. Hey, man, when uh, at any time during 2020, if you can say I got no complaints, that's a really good day. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. Uh, now, Marcus Robinson with the Vikings playing the Texans this weekend, um, he, ninth year uh, in the NFL, started with Chicago, played three with the Vikings, had eight touchdowns in 2004. In 04, the Vikings had a game at Houston early in the season. Uh, the Vikings win 34-28 in overtime. Marcus walks off with a 50-yard touchdown, middle of overtime to win it. That That's something you'll never forget, right? Something I will never forget. Actually, I dropped the pass the play before that. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but wasn't the play before the game winner? Didn't you guys come back and run the same play? No, actually, I had a slant on the backside, and I um, the guy fell down. And it hit me right in the hands. I threw it down, came hmm. back, and... I was so upset, and Dante was like, shake it off, man. We're going to come back to you. Came back to me the next play. And Dante threw five touchdown passes that 2004 day, October 10th, 2004, 34-28, Vikings beat Houston. Uh, Marcus Robinson, nine catches, 150, and a couple of TDs in that game. The game was so strange in that there there was a lot of action late in the game. Crowd super into it. You guys are super into it. You're eventually going to go to the playoffs. Those regular season games, they stick out a little bit, don't they? Yes, they do. When you're playing like we was playing that year, I mean, the first four or five games of the season, we were throwing for four and five touchdowns. And 
it was just unbelievable and not that having fun. But in that particular game, we were actually up, and they came back on us to tie the game, so we ended up going to overtime. But, yeah, those games really mean something. You're out there. You've been practicing all week, man. It's pretty – it's pretty exciting to go out there and play on Sunday. 2004, Marcus, with um, if if Peyton Manning like takes one step back, Culpepper wins the MVP probably, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, he was phenomenal that year. What would you like about playing with Dante? Dante, because I wasn't used to a quarterback that actually could see what you see. <laughs> and I was in that offense where you can raise your hand if you beat a golf no matter what your route is, you know, and catch the football. You could also run around and they tell you that the bottom line is to get open. I remember one particular play, I had an over route on the naked, and Dante was telling me to stop. But I was so used to following instructions, I just kept running. He was like, next time, Marcus, I'm I'm trying to get you to stop so I can throw it to you. I was like, oh, wasn't used to that. But he was definitely one of those quarterbacks where he saw what you saw in the defense, and he could, you know, you, you can be on the same page. Just trust each other. So, Marcus, was that a product of Scott Linehan teaching that offense, your offensive coordinator? I mean, Obviously, he has to sign off on something like that. Right. Well, I think he understood the fact that with Randy Moss and Chris Carter, those guys were very students of the game, and they could talk to each other, sit on the bench or stand on the sideline and see what, and show the quarterback. The quarterback showed them, see what we see. And I'm assuming he saw so many connections with them as that way that he was always okay with you know us improvising on the field sometimes, as long as we're on the same page. Former Vikings receiver Marcus Robinson with us. Vikings and Texans this weekend, noon for the boom. A very memorable game at what used to be called Reliant. Marcus Robinson walks off from Dante, 50 yards to win it, middle of overtime. Nine catches, 150, couple of TDs in that game for Marcus. Um, outside of um, sports and everything, your daughter Michaela, uh, last time we chatted, um, she uh, like like just tell us what uh, what she's doing and uh, what's new with her. Okay, um, well, she actually made um, the gold Olympic team this past year for volleyball, but wow. um, she's been doing exceptionally well. She was all up this year. Um, she's been really grinding and playing hard. So I just hate for this year to be her senior year, and they've condensed the season now, and she doesn't know exactly what the plans are for next year. So. Yeah, see, that's why right at the beginning, Marcus, when I'm like, how you doing? You're like, everything's great. I'm like, hey, in 2020, if you're like, everything is great, that's unbelievable. Well done. Yeah, well, she's healthy, man. She came home. She stayed for a while. Then schooling online, she went back probably about five weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and, and she's healthy. So, you know, that's what you can look at. And, you know, she's at her senior year. So it's time to be an adult in a little bit what uh with your daughter Michaela when it comes to when it comes to like things she does at a high level playing volleyball on those harder floors what um what does she do when you watch as a dad you're like wow I mean I went for nine one fifty and two in this game we're talking about played eight uh played nine years in the NFL but I couldn't do that in the volleyball game what would it be oh it'd be just her ability to adapt like one time she was set and she's right-handed but she jumped, and the ball was short, so she spiked it with her left hand. Oh. I mean, she just reacted up in the air, and you're like, I mean, she just reacted to it. You know, so you'll see things like that that she'll do on the court that it'll just amaze you. That Like, you see her getting up so high, and she's ready to swing with the right, and she just switches to the left and dumps the ball to the left. So wow. those are things that she does for me. I'm like, man, she's very athletic with it. Uh, Marcus, when when you're watching games now, or say over the last couple of years, compared to when you played, uh, 2000, I don't know, four or five, something like that, how, how dramatically different is it now compared to then? 
That's a lot different. I came in the game in 1997, too, so it was a lot different then for us. I know I see a lot of times, especially with guys catching the ball in the end zone, and it used to be called separating the man from the ball. So when you caught the ball, they still would hit you just in case you could knock it out of you, fumble it. Like that. So I see a lot of times when guys just catch the ball in the end zone, they're not hit. Or when guys are on the ground, they call them defensive players now, but they're just on the ground and nobody's touched them yet, and the guys just kind of walk and leisurely touch you. When poor guys will just run and just drive their shoulders in you. Yeah. You know, because back then there was a lot of guys just trying to intimidate. Even when you caught the ball, like I remember playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in mm-hmm. 99, 2099. And they would gain tap with you, and hopefully by the third quarter, you didn't want to catch it. Well, I mean, you played in the NFC. Rodney Harrison played in the AFC, you know, but but you and Rodney played at the same time, right? Right. Okay. Rodney Harrison, I played with John Lynch and those guys, yeah. too. So I'm thinking Rodney, you know, and it's like catching a pass in the middle of the field against the Chargers or the Patriots, and Rodney's out there, you're going to think about it. So, oh, yeah. Uh, do, do you, so do you think receivers think less about that stuff now? Yes, and I think a lot of times, too, that's what get guys – you know, hurt because they don't catch the ball and accept they're going to get hit. I remember, you know, you caught a slant on third down. You would catch the slant and tighten up on a brace for the hit. But these guys don't feel they're going to get hit, so they just run and don't tense up to take the hit. Mm. So I think a lot of times that's what happened to a lot of guys, especially over the middle. You'll see them just run through it. And it's like, man, it's like third and four. You know, the linebacker's dropping. They know you're hot as well as you do. So as soon as you catch it, yeah, they're coming to hit you. So you got to <laughs> protect yourself. And a lot of times these guys don't protect themselves. That uh, that playoff win at Lambeau after the 4 season, Longwell walks off on you twice, 34-31, including once on Christmas Eve, in an afternoon game. So now you got a bunch of people getting home early evening. Everybody's like, um, hey, here's the mistletoe. Here's the eggnog. You're like, this sucks uh, be, yeah. you know, on Christmas Eve. So, but then you beat them at Lambeau in the wild card round. What do you remember about that game? And it was cold. That was the game. It had the um, Afros going. Um, <laughs> it was cold. It was fun. Um, it was just one of those times because we had lost to him, I mean, by a field goal. And so, you know, we came in, you know, thinking, hey, we got to come out and really not let this happen again a third time. So we went out playing really hard, man. And it was so much fun at the end of that game. It was exciting to win in it. Hmm. And we won at Lambeau. Uh, Marcus Robinson, final one. Uh, Vikings receiver, three seasons, nine years in the NFL. Vikings-Texans this weekend. Marcus walked off on Houston in 2004. Uh, from what you watch, um, what you know, Marcus, can you imagine what it would be like playing games with no fans? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I remember, you know, you played in high school and, um, you know, you'll go to some – away teams and they would have fans and you really didn't kind of pay attention to it you know I think you only um hear the fans after a big play after you make a first down catch and things like that but for the most part it's like you're so zoned in on the field that a lot of things you really don't react to with the fans but you do in a sense because like if you make a first down and you're really moving the ball and you can hear the crowd still getting amped up after a certain big play that kind of keeps the momentum going, your drive going. But I can hear the crowd noise on the TV now. I'm sure they hear the same thing we hear, and it sounds the same. But um, I couldn't imagine it, no, because I'm used to you know looking in the fans, your wife and kids or your parents. You know. It'll be a little different, but I think as soon as the game starts to roll and guys just get in the zone and start playing. Hey, man, absolutely my pleasure. Bless you. Glad to hear things are going well. We'll catch up soon, okay? Okay, cool. Thanks, Paul. Same to you. See ya.
Big thanks to PA and Marcus Robinson for the interview. Big thanks to Chris Corso and Jay Nelson for being here and doing what they do every week. Uh, a couple quick things to check out on Vikings.com, uh, the home for all your latest Vikings news. we got Skull Stories this Thursday. Mark Rosen and color analyst Pete Bursich. Uh, the guest is former wideout and special teams captain Chris Walsh. He talks 1998. He talks his history with Denny Green, memories of Corey Stringer, state of the modern NFL. Uh, check it all out, 6.30 p.m. on KFAN. Uh, remember to tune in to the Vikings postgame live every week, one hour after each game from inside U.S. Bank Stadium. Get a breakdown of the game, including highlights, stats, analysis, and more. Tune in on Vikings.com, the Vikings app, and all your Vikings social channels. Uh, and check out our newest show, Vikings Vantage, this Friday night at 6.30 p.m. on KFAN 100.3. Gabe Henderson, Chris Corso. Chris Horso. Chris Horso. I can see you. I can see your last name being Horso. Like, yeah, I own a ranch. You can call me Chris Horso. Uh, Chris Corso, Gabe Henderson, a host of others will be giving you the latest details on everything happening right up to the kickoff this weekend. Boys, it's time to put one in the W column. A couple rough weeks. One step in the right direction. Now it's time to step across that winning line. Uh, two struggling teams that are desperate. I think it's going to be a hell of a ball game. I, I, I'm not going to tell you that I think we're going to go out and wipe them or even come away with a victory, but I can tell you that I think this is going to be a hell of a football game. Enjoy the game, guys, and we will see you next week.